Please open your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Um, We are now in our sixth part study of what I now believe will be eight parts of of a chapter and a half section of John. But I think it's important we treat it as a chapter and a half. 9-1 through 10-21 is a unit. We know it's a unit because John has used a literary device. Um, it's, it's like a bookends, inclusion or inclusio. And you look at the end of, of 21 in chapter 10, it references all the way back to the events of chapter 9. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That's how we know this is a unit. And then you look at 22 at that time, and we've now jumped ahead to a different time. And so everything Jesus says in chapter 10 about being the good shepherd, the shepherd of the flock, the shepherd of the sheep, is built upon, and in some sense explaining or developing what happened in chapter 9. So in chapter 9, Jesus and the disciples are walking by. They're in Jerusalem, and they see a man born blind. And the disciples ask a question, why? And their assumption, this is a judgment on the man's sin, possibly in utero, or on his parents, which one? And Jesus indicates neither, but that this was done, that the works of God might be seen. And then that moves to his healing of the man because Jesus says, we must be doing the works of him who sent me. He is the light of the world. And so he gives the man sight. And then the man is bounced back and forth. There's four different questionings that take place. His neighbors question him. The Pharisees question him. The Pharisees question his parents. Then they question him again. And then they kick him out. The end of chapter 9, Jesus, who I would suggest to you, even as, as we're reading the good shepherd, as the good shepherd finds this sheep, brings him to faith. And at the end of chapter 9, Jesus pivots to judgment which is partly what we get in chapter 10. If you look at the end of chapter 9, Jesus said in verse 39, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. And then, if you've got a red-letter Bible, the red letters just keep going. I I, I don't think chapter 10 is a helpful chapter divide, as if Jesus is on to some new event. That's just the introduction. And so then, from 10.1 through 10.18 is the Good Shepherd discourse or speech. And we're going to look at this in three parts. Um, we're going to read through the whole thing. I want to read through 10, 1 to 18, even though we'll just be looking at the first six verses. I'll show you the divisions before we read it so you can see them. In the first six verses, Jesus is speaking of the shepherd in the third person, he and him. And then in verse 6, the, uh, they, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying. So Jesus clarifies, and he reiterates. But now, instead of he and hims, it's I. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. So there's a shift. Then, starting in verse 14, 
The contrast, because from 1 to 14, is all about contrasting Jesus as the good shepherd with the Pharisees and the would-be leaders of Israel as false, bad shepherds. There's four points of contrast. We'll look at the first two this morning. The good shepherd is unlike. He's superior to the shepherds of Israel. The shepherds and the thieves and the strangers drop out at 14. And from 14 to 18, Jesus just speaks about himself and his mission and his relationship with the Father. So we're going to look at it 1 to 6 this morning, and then 7 to 13 next week, God willing. And then we'll finish this section the week after that, God willing, of course. So with that and those divisions, let's read 10, 1 to 18 and see what Jesus has to say. What we're looking at is two things. The characteristics, the distinguishing marks of the shepherd of the sheep, as he's spoken of in the first six verses, who becomes the good shepherd in the rest of the section. And the contrast of the cowardly, thieving, destructive hirelings and strangers that Israel has. The contrast. So let's read John 10, 1 to 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Lord God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see that we might behold the goodness of this very good shepherd, that we might see clearly both the glories the excellencies of our great shepherd and high priest of the flock, the Lord Jesus Christ, and also that we might see the the sin, the corruption of false shepherds. 
that we might behold both the, the good and the evil in this passage and we might cling to the good. Lord God, we, we pray that you would give the increase. We rejoice that we have such a good shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at this in three points. I, this is a long extended metaphor or parable. Uh, the ESV says this figure of speech, whatever type of figure of speech you want to label it, is extended from verse 1 through 18. And so we've got to pause for a moment and consider it. There's a rich Old Testament backdrop to it. What is this metaphor of shepherd and sheep and flock and fold? And it's important that we don't bring modern assumptions to it. It's important for us to understand there are Old Testament texts Jesus is referencing. So we've got to look at those. We'll do that primarily this morning, even though I'll reference some of them in the coming weeks. Then, in the first six verses, Jesus makes two of four contrasts between himself and the others. They get different names. Here, in the first six verses, he's contrasting the shepherd of the flock with thieves and robbers and strangers. And then thieves and robbers show up again in the second section. And then we get the hirelings, the hired hands. These are the contrasts Jesus makes. So we're going to begin by just talking about this notion of, of shepherding. And, and it's important for us just to understand the shepherding that you are familiar with might be different than what's going on here. Um, around here, we have pens and fences for wild animals. You can see them driving along in barbed wire. And so you might think of a shepherd as someone simply opening the gate, the cattle, the sheep go out, and at night they come back in. That, that's somewhat it, but that's not entirely it. In other places, like Australia, you can have massive herds and sheep dogs herding, and it's a big group effort. But the picture drawn upon here, and mostly in Scripture, is of a single lone shepherd. That's not to say there might not be other shepherds with them, but all of the language is usually singular, a shepherd. And the picture is a man, or a woman, I suppose, who goes ahead of the flock, leading them, protecting them, guarding them, and then bringing them back into the fold. Moreover, the picture here seems to be of a communal pen, a communal pen. And so the idea might be that a town or a village might build a structure, a, a fenced-in area, where all of their sheep could stay protected. There's a gatekeeper who guards them overnight. And then different shepherds from different households would come and call their own flock. And that's the point Jesus is making, that his sheep hear his voice. He's not calling all the sheep. He's calling his sheep. And his sheep hear his voice, and they come. So the picture would be, here's a penned-in area or a courtyard, and Jesus, as the good shepherd, he shows up. The gatekeeper recognizes him, opens the gate. He calls his subset of those sheep. They come, and he leads them out. And other shepherds presumably would come and get their sheep. And then at night, he brings them back in. That's, that's the word picture that's in view, something like that. But this is richly biblical. Now, I'm going to reference a couple of texts, but I'll tell you right now, you can put in, if you've got those handy ribbons in your Bible, put them in, in Ezekiel 34 and maybe even Zechariah 11, because over the next two or three weeks, we will be looking at these repeatedly, most significantly now. But here at point A, Jesus is using a very common metaphor, a very common metaphor. I'll ask you to turn to Ezekiel 34, but while you turn there, let me just read some text to you. The very first picture I could find, word picture, of a leader of Israel, or his, it's Israel's people, as a shepherd, is found in Numbers, where Moses spoke to the Lord, Numbers twenty-seven fifteen. Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation. 
who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. And Moses, of course, even though he was raised as a princeling in Egypt, spent 40 years shepherding in Midian. Moses was, by trade, for a portion of his life, a shepherd, right? And then, of course, when David becomes king, and we know David was a shepherd, listen to the language the people use in 2 Samuel 5, 1-3. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people, Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So Israel's kings, Israel's leaders, starting with Moses and then on to David, they are viewed as shepherds. They lead the flock. They protect the flock. They take them out. They bring them back in. You saw that language in both passages. But the picture of shepherd is also applied to to Yahweh, to God himself. You know Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. When you know that, you can just shout it out. It's good. Um, I shall not want. He may, and what, what is good about him? He, he leads and he nourishes and he protects and he tends and he feeds. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Psalm 80. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. Psalm 95, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. So in a good sense, Israel's righteous leaders, Moses, David, they're they're shepherds over God's people. God himself being the one true ultimate shepherd. But also shepherds as a negative picture has a rich Old Testament backdrop as well. Isaiah 56, my shepherds have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let us get wine, let us fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow will be like today, great beyond measure. Jeremiah 23, 1-3, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. What I'm pointing out is both positively, God And his appointed leaders, David, Moses, they are shepherds over God's people. There's a positive line. But there's also a a negative line, a rebuking line, at, at inadequate, wicked shepherds, both richly attested to in the Old Testament. So Jesus' contrast of the good shepherd and the hirelings, the good shepherd and the wicked shepherds, this is familiar there's a lot of antecedent texts that he's building upon. He is, he is stepping into an already deep stream of theme. And this would be well recognized by anyone who understands and has read the Old Testament. So, Ezekiel 34. Uh, if you've been in my office, you'll see that over my chair on the back wall is Ezekiel 34. My sister one day... Um, asked me what my favorite Bible verse was. She was looking to put it on a piece of driftwood. And I said, I can't give you a verse. Can I give you a chapter? And she said, okay. And uh, Ezekiel 34 is, I think, my favorite chapter in the Bible. I find great conviction from it, great encouragement from it. I just love Ezekiel 34. Because in Ezekiel 34, we see both the negative and the positive. 
the Lord God begins by rebuking the shepherds of Israel. And that's the warning, the trembling part. How does God feel about lazy, self-indulgent, wicked, harsh shepherds? He is furious with them. But how does the Lord God feel about his flock? He loves and cherishes them. Oh, I love that. So let's read Ezekiel 34. We'll only read it now, and then we'll come back later um, periodically. But here we go. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. I'll pause, by the way. The first 10 verses, the Lord rebukes Israel's shepherds. The Lord rebukes Israel's shepherds. I'll pause when we get to the first 10 verses. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, have you been feeding yourselves? Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak, you have not strengthened. The sick, you have not healed. The injured, you have not bound up. The strayed, you have not brought back. The lost, you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. By the way, notice that shepherding involves more than simply feeding. The shepherds failed on many lines, not simply the failure to teach God's word. Shepherding involves healing and strengthening and binding up and bringing back and seeking. And, and I'm going to, as I read this, emphasize the, the first person pronouns. I want you to get a, a feel for God's passion, his concern, his love, his zeal over his flock. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live, declares the Lord God. Surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become a food for all the wild beasts. Since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. That is the anti-gospel, by the way. Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Flip that around. If God is against you, watch out. I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hands and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths so they may not be food for them. And we see in Jesus' speech and his attitude, this very heart, his anger at the Pharisees who just kicked out of the synagogue. In, in, the, in the shepherding metaphor, they threw him out of the pen. Look to yourself. Let the wolves devour you. How dare you teach us? And Jesus finds him. He finds the sheep and he tends to him. Oh, but then he turns in his anger. For judgment I came. This is the judgment we're looking at right here. But then... Starting in verse 11, look who will do the job. If the shepherds fail, who, who will accomplish the task? Verse 11, 
For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search out for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines. And in all the inhabited places of the country, I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down and declares the Lord. And then everything that the shepherds fail to do, God says he himself will do. Look at the com- compare 16 with 4. I will seek out the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will, be strength- I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. Take heart. Even when earthly shepherds fail, the good shepherd is not going to let any of his sheep ultimately be destroyed. He will seek them out. He will do what these leaders failed to do. Do you see God's heart of longing and love and zeal? If you're a sheep, you're his. And he will shepherd you. And he will feed you. And he will heed you. And he will fight those who would harm you. I said heed. I meant heal. Let's keep going. But notice the emphasis. God himself. God, God himself. You're blank here. The Lord himself will shepherd the sheep. It's It's emphatic. Synthetic in verse 11, I, I, myself. Verse 15, I, I, myself. Yahweh, Lord in all caps, is, is Yahweh, Jehovah. Yahweh himself will shepherd his flock. Not only will he deal with and destroy the false shepherds, he'll, he'll deal with and bring justice and, and equity to the flock itself. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep. Between rams and male goats, is it not enough to feed on good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture and to drink the clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you've trodden with your feet and drink what you've muddied with your feet? He's going to destroy the false shepherds, but he's also going to deal with pushy, shovey sheep who eat their fill and then leave muddy, trampled food for the rest. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself, will judge between fat sheep and lean sheep, because you push with your side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And then, notice this. Notice all the I, I myself. I, I myself. I will be the shepherd. And I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. He shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts in the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them in the places around them a hill of blessing, and I will send down the showers of the seasons. They may be showers of blessing, and the trees in the field yield fruit. Jump all the way down um, to verse 31. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. 
what a what a god <laughs> what a jealous caring loving god who so cares for his sheep and what a terribly fearful responsibility it would be for any human to claim to be an under shepherd that's that's the biblical terminology for elders for pastors paul when he speaks with the elders in ephesus tells them shepherd the flock of god that is among you no sorry that's peter paul says, pay careful attention in yourselves to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. First Peter 5, 1-4, I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders and witnesses of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And when the chief shepherd appears, you receive the unfading crown of glory. So rightly understood, the elders in the church are under shepherds. And it's good for us to remember what's involved in shepherding, the great threat over poor, careless, self-indulgent shepherding, and to see our God's heart in shepherding. And I think we see that on full display in Jesus. Very quickly turn to uh, Zechariah 11. Zechariah 11 picks up this theme, so I just want to pause so far. So this great coming shepherd in Ezekiel 34 is either the Lord God himself or David or maybe both. Yes? Is it David or is it the Lord? So Jesus, in in making these claims, which become more overt after verse 6, I am the good shepherd, is claiming something immense. He's either claiming to be the Lord God, Yahweh. He's claiming to be David, the Davidite, or something in between, or maybe both. This is a big messianic claim when he says, I am the good shepherd. Well, there's another shepherd spoken of in, in Zechariah 11, another Messianic figure. I'll deal with it very quickly because of time. Zechariah 11:4. Thus said the Lord God, become, become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Verse 7, so I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep. And I took two stabs, one I named Favor, the other I named Union, and I tended the sheep. In one month, I destroyed the three shepherds. Your blank here is God's shepherd fights, defeats, destroys the false shepherds. Now, Zechariah takes this shepherd theme even further than we're going to go here, because if you jump over to 13, you read verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. This is referenced when Jesus is arrested and the disciples flee, which is getting ahead of where we're at. All I want to establish so far in my Old Testament summary I encourage you to read these passages, is this great coming shepherd is either the Lord God himself or David or a descendant of David or both. Jesus is claiming, that's me. And in Zechariah 11, this messianic figure will battle and destroy the shepherds and yet he himself will be cut off. This is all part of that rich backdrop that Jesus is speaking into. It's important for us to take this time, you can turn back to John 10 now, because we read in verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand. We, we want to understand. And so Jesus is not speaking into a vacuum when he says, I am the good shepherd. He's grabbing a hold of a rich, rich Old Testament past. And, and the heart that you see of your God in, in Ezekiel 34, I think you see clearly on display in, in John 10. This is the same person. This is the same passion. This is the same zeal. So, 
Let us dive in then to point number two. We get to the two contrasts. And let me me read the first five verses again. I'll I'll tell you what the two contrasts are so you can see them. Point, Point number two in the outline, Jesus is the legitimate shepherd of the sheep. Point number three, Jesus knows and is known by his sheep. Jesus is the legitimate shepherd of the sheep, and Jesus knows and is known by the sheep. The key word in the first section is enter. How do they enter? The key word in the second half is to be known. The voice is recognized. The voice is not known. So let's read the first five verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who enters, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So in our first point, the first contrast, the first distinguishing mark of the shepherd of the sheep and the thieves and robbers is that Jesus is the legitimate shepherd of the sheep. And I say Jesus because as you read through the whole section, the shepherd, clearly I'm the good shepherd. So I'm assuming we're on board with that, that Jesus makes that point, even though technically in the first six verses he's just talking about the shepherd. It's, it's spoiler, it's Jesus. Um, Jesus is the legitimate shepherd of the sheep. So he begins actually not by speaking about himself as the shepherd, but the the. Pharisees are not shepherds. That's the beginning point. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. He's talking about the Pharisees. We even read in verse 6, they didn't understand what he was saying to them. This starts with them saying, are we blind too? So he's talking to them. And he's talking about them. It goes over their heads. And so the Pharisees' entrance into the sheepfold is illegitimate. They have entered the sheepfold illegitimately. That's the, word, that's the picture. The, it's a simple enough question. What do you call the person who breaks your window and climbs into your house? Who's that? That's a thief, right? Who's the person who climbs over the wall into the sheepfold? It's not the shepherd. It's a thief and a robber, obviously. Their, their means of entry reveals their identity. So what what does that mean? What it means is there are legitimate ways to approach shepherding. We've seen in the Old Testament, it's not as though God only is a shepherd. Moses is a shepherd. David is a shepherd. But there are also requirements for shepherding. In the New Testament, look at 1 Timothy 3. There are clear biblical requirements to be an elder and a pastor. So there's a right way of entry. I mean, we could do that study for the New Testament church on how elders are appointed and they're pointed out and how they're qualified. There's a right means of entry and the Pharisees have not used it. Jesus rebukes them. Remember when he starts speaking truth to Nicodemus and Nicodemus has no clue what he's saying? What does Jesus say to him in John 3.10? Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Isn't there a clear mark of you're not qualified? How can you be the head teacher and you don't get what I'm saying? They're not qualified. Jesus elsewhere tells them in John chapter 5, they don't believe Moses. They, they kicked the man out of the synagogue in chapter 9. We are disciples of Moses. No, you're not. 
No, you're not. John 5, 45 to 47. Do not think I'll accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. They're not qualified. They're illegitimate. And the whole Pharisaical tradition is man-made. It doesn't make it wicked. It just means there's no biblical warrant for them. What biblical role are the Pharisees filling? None. They made it up. They have nice seats. They have people clanging gongs when they go in the street. They, they really like their bureaucrats. They really like checking things out. Remember they sent messengers to John the Baptist. They, Why are you baptizing? they sent Nicodemus to scope Jesus out. But they're not shepherds. They're not shepherds. They, they don't exercise legitimate authority. They haven't entered properly. They haven't entered properly. And point two, consequently, they ravage the flock. They ravage the flock. Now, this is the point we've just seen in John chapter 9. Here is a man, an object of pity, born blind, forced to beg. And God has done a great work. I mean, it gets the entire town's attention. Everyone is in a hubbub and a tumult. They can't even believe, is this the same man? They can't believe it. This is unprecedented. God has done a mighty work for this poor man. Praise God. No, throw him out. Why? Well, he had the audacity to insult the shepherds. (laughs) They tear him to pieces and throw him out. No, they're thieves and robbers, and we've seen them be thieves and robbers. Are they shepherds? No. Do they tend to the flock? No. Everyone's running around terrified of them. His own parents throw him under the bus. Why, we're told in John, look at chapter 9, 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. (laughs) These aren't good shepherds. These are scary people. They're thieves and people are scared of thieves and robbers, right? These aren't shepherds. So Jesus, they they haven't entered properly. Who are they? They're thieves and robbers. They're thieves and robbers. They ravage the flock, which means they fall into the rebuke of Ezekiel 34. They haven't tended the sick. They haven't healed the broken. They haven't sought the lost. They haven't healed the sick. But with force and harshness, you have ruled them. This is why John chapter 10 follows after 9. This is why they build upon each other. This is why our unit. We've seen them do exactly this. Jesus is interpreting, giving commentary for what has just happened. They have harshly treated this sheep of God. And God is not happy about it. And he has some things to say about it. By contrast, Jesus is the shepherd of the sheep. And the point here is Jesus is the legitimate shepherd. They're illegitimate. They're not qualified. They don't hold any biblical authority or position. They made it up. On contrast, Jesus enters the sheepfold by the door. And the metaphor here is simply legitimately. It'll go on to say they're his sheep. He owns them. What does it mean that Jesus enters by the door? It could mean a couple of things. The picture's legitimacy. It could mean Jesus fits in with all the antecedent scripture promising, prophesying a coming messianic shepherd figure. He fits those things. He does the works of the Messiah. He opens the 
eyes of the blind. He heals the sick. He cares for the flock. We're told in the other Gospels, Jesus looked at the crowd with compassion like sheep without a shepherd. It probably, though, refers to the fact that he's sent and commissioned by the Father because the point of the gatekeeper opening to him. And again, back to the picture. You've got a bunch of families in a town have built a stable or an area for their sheep collectively. And there's a gatekeeper, and the gatekeeper obviously is there to guard the sheep. And if some random person comes up, they're not going to let them in. But Jesus comes through the door, and the gatekeeper says, oh, come on in. He's recognized. He's, he's, he's legitimate. He's legitimate. He enters the sheepfold by the door. And how often has Jesus insisted on this very thing? Is, was it Jesus' idea to come to earth? Or in this metaphor, to come get the sheep? No. Again and again and again, him who sent me, him who sent me. I did not come with my own authority, but he sent me. I've come not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus is a commissioned and therefore authorized agent. That, that's, that's the point Jesus has been hammering throughout John's gospel. He enters the sheepfold by the door, and the gatekeeper recognizes him. Let me read you a, a couple passages to that effect. John four thirty four. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. John 5. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus fits in the right chain of command to go pick up the sheep. That's, that's the point. And all of the Old Testament scriptures that predict, here's what he should look like, Jesus matches those perfectly. So much so that when he feeds the crowd... The 5,000 in John chapter 6, they identify him. This is indeed the prophet who's come into the world. This is the one predicted in, in Deuteronomy, the prophet like Moses. He enters the sheepfold by the door, and he is recognized by the gatekeeper. He is recognized by the gatekeeper. Point three, our second contrast. So the first contrast, Jesus is the legitimate shepherd. Jesus is, and that, get, that's a massive claim linking to Ezekiel 34. He's either the Lord God himself, or he's David, or both. The Pharisees are illegitimate shepherds because they don't have their authority rightly. It's one of the nice things in the New Testament church. We've got standards. You can measure up people. Do these people who bear the title elder meet the qualifications? We can tell if people are qualified or unqualified. It's not a subjective matter of opinion. God has spoken. There's a right way to enter and a wrong way to enter. We can talk about that in the ABF, but there's all sorts of modern implications in this. But Jesus is battling with the false shepherds, so we'll continue. Jesus knows and is known by the sheep. If you pick it up in the middle of verse 3, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. They will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, what's been made up to this point is rather obvious. If, if you were to say communal town has a town is a communal sheepfold guarded by a, a watchman, and you said... Give me the name for the type of person who climbs over the wall. Oh, that'd be a thief. That'd be a robber, obviously. Give me the name of the person who the gatekeeper recognizes and opens the door to. Oh, that'd be a shepherd, an authorized person. You're with me so far. Nothing, nothing in the metaphor is extraordinary yet. 
It becomes so now. So here's your point A. Jesus has a personal relationship with his sheep. Jesus has a personal relationship with his sheep. I I groaned at putting that blank here just because it's a phrase so overused. But it's true here. That's the emphasis. Watch the movement. It starts with they recognize his voice. He knows his own and calls each by name. Now, you would expect a shepherd to know his own sheep. And part of the way people know their sheep is they put markings on them, put brands on them. It's important. A shepherd needs to know that he's got the right 50, 60 sheep. And not, especially when there's a communal pen, he doesn't have the Joneses' sheep. They might be upset about that. So Jesus knows his own sheep. That, in the metaphor, is not surprising. It's also not surprising that they know his voice. You might, animals, we know, can respond to a voice. And so the picture would be of a shepherd who shows up, the gatekeeper opens the door, and he has his call, whatever it might be. Hia, or whatever. I'm, I'm bad at imagining sheep calls. Um, and, but the sheep perk up and they come out, right? I mean, you, you're with me so far. They know his voice. Nothing unusual here. Here's a shepherd who has names for every one of his sheep. And he doesn't call them as a group. All you sheep, come on. Here's a shepherd, and this is unusual, just as the metaphor goes. He comes to the pen, the the gatekeeper opens the gate, he comes in, and he calls each sheep by name. I don't think any of the shepherds in Israel would do such a thing. It's just, first of all, it's, it's, it's a waste of time. They're stupid sheep. Just, come on, sheep. No, but here's a shepherd who so knows his sheep that he, he knows them and he has a name for each one of them and he calls each one of them by name. This is an intimacy and a knowledge and a relationship that I think would be surprising in a shepherd. You name your pets. You name the animals that you care deeply for. But sheep that are going to be slaughtered eventually, not so often, a whole flock of them, Seems less likely to me. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. He knows his own and calls them by name. By the way, notice again, there's this relationship between him and his flock. This This isn't Jesus' love and concern for the whole world. I think he is love and concern for the whole world. That's not what this is talking about. Everything we're getting here is limited to his own, to his sheep. And in the metaphor, not everybody in the pen is his sheep. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, this is Jesus' love and knowledge for you. By name, individually, he knows his sheep. And understand that the biblical concept of knowing is far more than just awareness. It can be far deeper. You go back to Genesis 4, Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore. There's intimacy, at least potentially in here. And so when the shepherd knows his own, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out his own, he goes before them. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. They will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. He knows his own and calls them out by name. Point two, he leads out his own and goes before him, before them. And the picture here of going before them is he's lead, two things, both leadership. We, the, the sheep don't know where the good grass is. They might walk off a ravine, a cliff. They need someone to show them where to go. But the other picture of going out before them is protection. We're going to get to wolves later. And so by going out ahead, 
if there's danger, the shepherd encounters it first. So the, the shepherd of the sheep calls his own by name. There's an intimacy. There's a knowledge. They know his voice. He has a name for each one of them. And he calls each one of them by name. And they come out. And then what does he do with them? He cares for them. He leads them. He protects them. Presumably, he leads them to food and shelter and abundance. And again, we've seen this in the gospel, haven't we? Jesus brings a new birth for his sheep. Jesus in John 4 offers to quench the thirst with living waters of his sheep. In John 6, he feeds his sheep with with bread from heaven. He's light for his sheep. He gives sight for his sheep. This is a shepherd who cares for, tends to the flock. Remember the rebuke from the bad shepherds in Ezekiel? You've not strengthened the weak, the sick you've not healed, the injured you've not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. Has not Jesus done exactly all those things well? I think all that's tied up and he leads them out. He leads out his own and goes before them. And then we get a mark of the sheep. Up to this point, I've stressed the fact that Jesus is talking about his own, his own, his own. How do we know who his own are? He knows them. Well, I'll tell you a mark of his sheep. His sheep know his voice and they follow him. You're Jesus' sheep. You're part of this flock. If you hear his voice and you follow him, that's the mark. We could have a whole other message, the distinguishing marks of the sheep. They hear his voice. They follow him. That's the mark of the sheep. You're not a sheep because you say, I'm his sheep. You're not his sheep because you got a t-shirt that says, I'm his sheep. You're his sheep. You evidence you're his sheep because you hear his voice and you follow him. That's the mark of the sheep. The sheep hear his voice and they follow him. Jesus repeats this point a little later. I think the reason why the chapter division is put here at 10 is because Jesus has two speeches where he uses I'm the good shepherd language, even though they're on different occasions. And I think whoever put the divisions in thought, oh, that'll make a good unit. But he makes the same point again later in chapter 10 in the second Good Shepherd discourse. Look down to um, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That is the distinguishing mark of Jesus' sheep. And that's how you became a Christian. You, you heard the gospel. You're reading your Bible and you heard his voice in that word. You, you, the scripture we talk about is self-authenticating. You know, oftentimes when I'm trying to evangelize, I'll t- just, just, I want to read the Gospel of John with you or some other passage. I want to know what you think. And I'm looking to see, do they hear God's voice in this word like I did? And again and again and again, God's word is sufficient to make God's people, his sheep, hear his voice. We could have a whole message just on that, but we have to move on. That's the positive. Jesus has a personal relationship with the sheep. He knows them and he is known by them. And just pause and think for a second. Your great God knows you this well. I mean, I put the reference to Psalm 139. You can read that this afternoon where David marvels that God who made the universe, the Orion Nebula, the stars and the sun who feeds the birds and causes the grass to go thinks of him at all. Your good shepherd knows you by name and is not ashamed to say he is known by you. That knowledge can be two-way. And when we have that type of knowledge two-way, we call it an intimate relationship. That's the description of Jesus' relationship with his sheep. 
And when people speak rightly about having a personal relationship with Jesus, that's what they mean. I know him and he knows me. He's my shepherd. I hear his voice and I follow him. and He leads me. The Pharisees, not so much. Not so much. The Pharisees are strangers to the flock. They're strangers to the flock. Verse 5. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. They do not know the voice of strangers. And again, the contrast here is voice. Stranger will not follow. They'll flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. The sheep will flee because the, because the Pharisees are not legitimate, both in attaining to their office and to what they do in the exercise of their office. It's not as though they became shepherds illegitimately, but now they're trying to do their best to shepherd. They became shepherds illegitimately so that they could steal and destroy. And consequently, the sheep are scared of them. And we've seen that in John's gospel. The parents, I mean, think of how scared you've got to be to throw your own poor blinded son, recently healed, under the bus. You talk to him. He's of age. We don't want no trouble. In John 7, when Jesus shows up during the Feast of Booths and everyone's talking and muttering about him, oh, they're doing it under their breath. Why? John seven, thirteen. No one spoke openly. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. The contrast is sheep who love their shepherd. He calls them and they perk up. And they go and they follow him. Psalm 23, even if he leads them somewhere scary, they so love and are confident in him, they'll go. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your rod and your staff will comfort me. I'm going where my shepherd takes me because I know him, he knows me, and I'm not afraid of him. The Pharisees terrify the people. The sheep will flee from them. I think, my guess, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, my guess is that part of the reason the Pharisees were kind of in a tizzy and a little, their feathers were ruffled with John the Baptist and his baptisms and why they sent the delegation to say, who, what are you doing, what's going on here, is they pride themselves that they're the gatekeepers of Israel and Israel's religion. They pride themselves that they're keeping the flame alight. They're faithfully standing in the gap. So if God's going to send a prophet and do a work, why is he doing it as far away from Jerusalem and them as, as he can? Isn't there even implied rebuke that the prophet comes and doesn't say, good job, you guys. The prophet comes and says, all of you who would be right with God, you got to repent. And we're going to do it as far away from Jerusalem as we can. We're going to go out into the wilderness. We're not going to invite the Pharisees to take part. We're not going to give them a heads up. Oh, there's an implied disparagement. There's an implied rebuke even in the manner in which John the Baptist was sent and came. The sheep flee from them. And we read about them flocking to Jesus and John the Baptist. Remember how chapter 4 opens up. Jesus, this is the first note of conflict with the Pharisees. Chapter 4, 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, he doesn't walk around near them anymore. He knows they're not happy with that. The sheep are fleeing the Pharisees and flocking to John the Baptist and Jesus in the wilderness. For the sheep do not know their voice. The Pharisees don't even understand the scripture. 
And the contrast to that was made clearly, wasn't it, in chapter 7. In chapter 7, Jesus is teaching in the temple, and the Pharisees get together the scribes, and they send an officer, because the temple had temple guards and officers, go, go, go arrest Jesus. And they leave, and they don't come back till later in the chapter. When they come back, they're empty-handed, and the people who sent them say, what on earth? And they say, the officer answered 746, no one ever spoke like this man. Might it be fair to say he, he's got a different voice than you all do? The Pharisees, the sheep are afraid of them. And the sheep do not know their voice. And then, this is the second contrast. John puts a, put a little break in here, dividing Jesus' first attempt to communicate with them. He's rebuking them, but it went over their head. Now, here's the irony. The distinguishing mark, how do you identify the shepherd and his sheep? How do you identify them? Well, you could say, well, the shepherd's legitimate. And the the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. What's the other way of identifying him? Oh, he calls his sheep, and his sheep hear his voice, and they follow him. This figure of speech Jesus used to them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. There's There's a deep irony in John's pen as he's writing. These wise scholars, part of the reason I took you through the Old Testament text, this is no small biblical theme. They they don't even understand. They're too dumb to be offended. He's just castigated them. You guys are illegitimate, and you don't know the flock, and the flock doesn't know you, and they're scared of you, and you're thieves, and you're robbers, and you're strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus used them, but they didn't understand. They're not qualified, and they're not his sheep. So as we close, I don't think there'll be time for a closing song this morning, but as we close, jump all the way to the end of this. There's an application for us, the reader. John ends this marvelously well in 19 to 21. There again was a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? What's the crowd doing? There's a sifting in the crowd of those who hear his voice and those who don't. The centering is on Jesus' words and listening to him. And again, that also ties back to the prophet like Moses who, what's the one command, what's your one responsibility? God's going to raise up a prophet like Moses. You must listen to him. That's what we're on, his voice, his words, his teaching. And John leaves it irresolved. How, do, how, does this, how does this division end? We don't know. We move on to the next occasion. And that, of course, pushes the problem out to us. How do you respond to his voice? What do you evidence yourself to be, his sheep or not? Now, Jesus, up to this point, doesn't tell us how to be his sheep, but he does a little later. Pick it up in verse 6. This figure of species is seven. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. We'll go in and out and find pasture. The way you become Jesus' sheep, the way you, in the first instance, prove you're Jesus' sheep is by entering through Jesus. And so to put that in in easy-to-understand nomenclature, 
You turn from whatever it is you've been worshiping and serving, whatever other shepherd you've been following, money, sex, pleasure, fame, self-indulgence, whatever. And, and you enter through Jesus. You, you turn in repentance and faith to him. And you, you trust him as your forgiveness. You're going to relay the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Here's a shepherd who dies for you to become his flock. The only way you're able to become his sheep is because he dies. You trust in that, and then you hear his voice, and then you follow him. You enter through him. So let that be resolved here this morning. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord God, what a good and glorious shepherd we have. How great you are. When I read of your love and your passion for your people, I tremble with, with, with fear and joy. Fear because it is no small thing to meddle with your flock. It is no small thing to claim to be your child, your sheep. And yet, what joy and confidence and certainty there is that our shepherd will never leave us, that we will never slip through your hands, that you will search us out and find us and bind us up and heal us and strengthen us and feed us and lead us. Oh, Lord God, we are the sheep of your hand, and you are our God. In Jesus' name, amen.